Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I've caught Olympic fever over here, so I'm 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 taking a break right now from the Olympics to uh to talk to you. I do not have a way to watch since I do not have a cable subscription, and Comcast and NBC are not being very friendly to those who don't. Ugh, that's too bad. What are you drinking to drown your sorrows? Uh, tonight I have made a margarita, but with a twist, um, and not with a lime, but with a nectarine <laughs> muddled in. So a little uh, summer fruit, stone fruit added in. So basically a standard margarita, but with muddled uh, nectarine. So it's very pink. Fascinating. What about you? I'm drinking an elder fashion tonight. So it's a mm. old fashioned variant with uh, gin and uh, St. Germain uh, elderflower liqueur. Gin? Yeah, it's, it's quite nice. It's from the Death and Company book. Uh, it's very refreshing on a, on a summer evening. All right. So tonight we are going to talk about a tangential topic to Tesla. Indeed. Let's charge it up. Yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, it's electrifying. It is about the Volt. We wanted to talk about the Volt, the Chevy Volt. The Volt with a V as in Victor, not the Bolt with a B as in Usain. Correct. Sorry, Olympic fever. Yes. The Bolt will be another episode. Uh, they're fully electric vehicle. The Volt uh, is Chevy's, uh, which is uh, part of GM, General Motors, uh, hybrid electric plug-in vehicle um and yeah uh, they just crossed an interesting milestone they just crossed a hundred thousand of them sold in the u.s uh in august and when did they how long have they been selling those in the u.s uh since 2010 so about six years oh okay and uh yeah so it's that's a pretty good amount um i think it's still the i think it's the best-selling um uh, EV vehicle in the U.S. And there's still some debate over whether or not it's a, a hybrid or not. Chevy likes to say it's not a hybrid. And we'll get into the details there. But uh, they also released that 40% of it was driven in electric mode of the, of the miles that have been driven. So it has both electric um, motor and battery as well as a gasoline engine, which powers a generator, which sends electricity into the battery pack which then is sucked out by the motor to drive the wheels so it's a it's sort of a, a tesla with a generator bolted inside of it when the batteries are drained so it doesn't do any direct drive through the electric motor i'm sorry through the gasoline motor it's only as a generator uh it Unfortunately, it actually does have it does have some planar planetary gears inside of it, <laughs> which actually allow it to and has three clutches. It has a whole bunch of different modes that it operates in, but it does actually have a way for that engine to drive the rear wheels as well. But that isn't the way it's designed and talked about. And that's sort of a, a newer addition um, to improve the efficiency. But it, its primary design motivation and goal when it was set out was to be an electric vehicle without compromise because it could charge itself with a with a gasoline engine as you drove it past its built-in range um and when the car and you know this car has been pretty well received it's won several awards it, it won the 2009 green car award the 2011 green car of the year 2011 north american car of the year 2011 world car world green car 2012 European Car of the Year and the 2016 Green Car of the Year. So it's won a lot of awards. So this is not a um, 
let's rag on the uh, uh, on the volt. Um, I think the interesting thing here is that I see a lot of volts around where I live here in Palo Alto in California. Uh, I think you probably see volts around as well. Yeah. yeah. And um, I I even had wanted to try a test drive of it a few years ago, uh, and and uh, and I didn't end up getting to do a test drive. So I think we should probably test drive it. Um, but this episode will be focused a lot on sort of the history of it, talking about it, and then sort of how it relates to the Tesla story uh, and Tesla vehicles in general. Um, so with that, I guess we can jump in. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the Volt as as this idea of, of it being a sort of transitional vehicle from the gas paradigm to the electric paradigm and how it it sort of it was designed to address the concerns and anxieties of people f- regards to electric vehicles. Yeah. And, and I think that is definitely how GM was thinking about it. Um, because they had had earlier experience with electric vehicles with a car program, uh, named the EV one short for the electric vehicle one. And, uh, General Motors, uh, began this program in the late nineties and, uh, and their car shipped in 97 and it was a little two seater. Um, it, it was kind of looked like a UFO. Yeah. It was extremely, uh, like, uh, uh, aerodynamic. It had a coefficient of drag of 0.19, which is better than any production vehicle ever since as well. So it was super slippery. I think it even had the like the it had the covers over the rear wheels too, right? For aerodynamics. Yep, and it, and it was just two seaters. Um there be, mainly because there wasn't enough room for more people cuz the battery was so <laughs> huge. It was 137 horsepower um and the the tiny little narrow tires to not have much drag and they were 50 psi like super uh, super pumped up tires. Um and it got about 50 to 70 miles of range. But the downside was that it had a hundred, uh, sorry, a thousand two hundred pound battery, and it was a lead acid battery, <laughs> so very old technology battery, and they only made about five hundred of them, and uh, and they were leased, um, so they could test it out, and they were very expensive, but they were leased. The lease was about six hundred dollars a month. And so a lead acid battery, that's basically what we think of when we think of a car battery. Yep. And uh, implicit in the name is that there's a lot of lead in it, (laughs) which is not exactly a light element. And so lead acid batteries are extremely heavy. Um, And so unfortunately, uh, that technology was not really long for this world. And uh, even though many of the owners loved it, and that love was uh, recounted actually in um, a documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car?, it, it had Danny DeVito in it and a few other celebrities were very fond of their EV1s. Um, they, they had a lot lease in California. And it was over a billion dollar program for, for GM. And uh, the really big epic scene, sorry, spoiler, is that they were all <laughs> recalled and crushed um, because GM didn't want to keep them out there and having to support them. And so there's been a lot of sort of... Um, GM got a lot of negative press for killing the electric car. By, Including the documentary movie. Yes, by, by uh, taking away EV1 and basically uh, saying to all these other automakers implicitly that we can't make electric cars work. Um, they're too expensive and uh, not enough range and they're just sort of, you know, a two-seater is not a viable car for most people. And so that really was GM's experience until... Bob Lutz, who is an infamous car guy, um, 
who was the chairman of GM. He had, he had designed, uh, he had worked at BMW and, and many other car companies previously and, and was at GM. And he saw uh, the Tesla Roadster uh, in 2006 and was extremely impressed with it. He had worked on a lot of performance vehicles and was really shocked to see the Roadster and its performance and all the excitement around it and seeing that it was using a new battery technology and was coming out of Silicon Valley and basically uh, decided to greenlight a project inside GM to create an all EV vehicle again with lithium ion batteries now instead of lead acid and wanted a multi hundred mile range sedan. Uh, And so he got one of his best engineers, program directors to come in and meet with him and basically dictated that this become a program. And unfortunately that engineer, uh, well, not unfortunately, that engineer realized that that was not possible in 2006 uh, for, you know, two or three years later when the car would actually come out. And so he sort of realized, well, most Americans and most Europeans only drive 40 miles a day, like 75% of people don't drive more than 40 miles a day. And so if we built an, a car that had an electric range of 40 miles, that'd be great. And then if it had a way to extend its range, in those rare cases when you actually need to go more than 40 or 50 miles at a time, then that would be a really great car and we could actually build that with, with technology that we can foresee. And so that's what became the Volt, was uh, the chairman of GM seeing the, the Tesla Roadster and wanting to reboot the EV program inside of, inside of GM and then realizing that there needed to be compromise to get that vehicle on the road. Uh, at a price point that would be affordable for the GM buyer. Nice. So, and you've successfully tied it into our theme of being the Tesla show. So that's very well done. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Mr. Lutz, for uh, actually stealing the idea or being inspired from uh, from Tesla. And and, uh, and he's admitted this on the record. This isn't sort of a uh, Kremlinology or anything like that. This is <laughs> this is real information. He's 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 talked about on the record, and so they basically had this idea to create a, a sedan and wanted to make sure that it wasn't uh, too electric um, or too out there. The EV one was definitely in its shape, polarizing. It required <laughs> a lot of compromises because it was a two seater, and so they really tried to take a lot of the learnings from the market from EV one to the, uh, to the uh, Chevy uh, Volt and actually sort of based it on the Chevy Cruze, which is a midsize, actually, I think it's sort of in between midsize and, and compact sedan. Um, and so that it would basically behave like a regular car, even when it was in EV mode. And I think the important thing to remember is that this is 2006. So there's no, it's still more six more years until the Model S comes out. And so at that point, there were really no EVs except for the Roadster. And that was still two years away from shipping. It was just sort of a, a prototype being shown off with Arnold Schwarzenegger driving it around an airstrip. So <laughs> um, it, this was super early days and, and they, had, they embarked on this and they you know, wanted it to be 40 miles and wanted it to be something that would be approachable to everyday car buyers. So I think that uh, ambition is definitely was definitely right, and I think the technology um, trade offs they made were were correct as well because they realized that you couldn't get enough battery in there to to 
sustain a 300 mile car uh, that most gasoline cars can go with one tank of gas there weren't much charger infrastructure at all uh, if people people today are still complaining about charger infrastructure and so even back then there was far far less i mean there were no superchargers at that point and the other, the other really important thing too is that uh, they wanted to price this around thirty-five thousand dollars, and the Model S would come out uh, a few years later for more than double that price. And so I think that even though um, I think a lot of the pure uh, EV folks um, sort of rail on the Volt because it it does still use gasoline. Um, I think for the time, that was the right set of compromises. And Tesla t- chose to take a different approach of not trying to make that vehicle uh, class at that time. They decided to do the Roadster. And then a few years later, when it was actually the battery prices had come down further uh, to do the Model S at a much higher price point. But Chevy wanted to go right to the middle of the market right away. Uh, and so that was sort of their design intention. Um, so what do you... What do you think about that sort of mixing of the EV and the generator and both technologies, right? You've got both the electric and a motor, which still has engine, like oil changes and all that. Right. What's your take on that as an engineer? Like, is that seem like a kludgy solution or an elegant solution? I, I, I guess it depends on like technologically, it seems terrible because it in- introduces a tremendous amount of complexity, like far more complexity than a simple the the simplicity of an electric vehicle right um but it's also it's i don't think it's designed for its technological elegance it's more designed to work psychologically for humans um but well partially i mean i think it's partially it's it's meant to sort of assuage the anxieties of running out of fuel or running out of power um but also it's it's kind of also designed like like i mentioned like it's sort of a transitional species in that it's semi-electric but still existing with the uh gasoline infrastructure that we have nowadays or or in in the present day um given that there's there's gas stations all over the place petrol stations or gasoline stations or whatever you would call them um but there aren't charging uh stations everywhere yet um, and even when there are some, it, it, it's a much slower process. So I think it's it's interesting because there's a there's definitely a trade off there, not only in complexity where you have like you say all the fluids and all the extra components and there's so much more stuff that can go wrong uh, in in the vehicle, but also uh, gasoline and a tank and all that equipment and the and the electric and the I'm sorry the gasoline motor it's all very heavy. And that's something that when it's not being used, when you're in pure electric mode is lowering your, your efficiency of your electric vehicle while you're driving around in electric mode, because it's, it's all this extra dead weight that you have to carry around. Totally. And, and that's one of the reasons compared to the leaf, uh, for folks who are using it purely as a commuter car, it doesn't, it doesn't win because it is heavier, a lot heavier. Um, and so even Elon, when, when the car was shipping, uh, reporters asked him about, what do you think about the Volt? And he said, I, I sort of think it's like an amphibious type, an amphibian type car. <laughs> it's sort of not really a great electric vehicle and not really a great gasoline vehicle. And you really got to ask yourself, 
if you're buying a car, why are you buying a car that doesn't look very good, that its infotainment system isn't that great, that it's not very peppy, and that is going to have reliability problems with both the engine and the electrical system? So he, he was not a fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think the interesting thing to, to for me is why why did why would they do this? It's still a decade later from the EV1 program. So why not wait a few more years until they could see that those curves were going to allow them to make the car without this compromise of the gasoline engine? And th- and then I thought, well, this is them as a really big company. It's one car out of dozens and dozens that Chevy is making and and 40 or so that GM as a whole is making. So it's just one more car program. Bob Lutz, the chairman, wants to do it. He he says he wants a fully electric car, but the engineers tell him that's not possible. And so rather than wait a few more years for that to be possible, uh, possibly even another decade, because right now the uh, you know the Model 3 is really going to be coming out at least in a year or two. So that's almost 10 years, more than 10 years, that we would have had to wait until the technology would be possible if you assume that Tesla is on the vanguard of technology for a $35,000, you know, fully electric vehicle being uh, able to handle 200 plus miles of range. So it seems like, yeah, it was a transition vehicle for them. And what's interesting is in doing a lot of research on the, on the program, they used a lot from the EV1. So they used a lot of the learnings they had. So they had a battery testing facility that they had built that they actually used when they were validating the the cells and the battery packs that they were getting from different suppliers. They, you know, GM had never really done much with batteries except for the EV1, but the lead acid battery suppliers were not the same suppliers. And so they had to put out a RFP essentially for, for contractors to come in and uh, provide cells and battery pack designs and all this stuff. And they eventually decided to go with LG uh, LG Chem uh, to provide the uh, lithium-ion batteries, and um, and they used a lot of the facilities they had from the EV1 to test them, make sure they were able to handle the heat and the vibration and all these things. So that was sort of interesting. And then a lot of the engineers who had still stuck around at the company and were still there actually joined the e- the uh, Volt program and were able to help on the um, on the EV on the electrical drive systems and the motor systems and the cooling systems because the batteries needed to be cooled. And GM actually assembled the packs themselves similar to what Tesla does. And uh, you know at that time there was no uh, there weren't many other EVs and so they were actually doing really cutting edge technology and and inventing a lot of things to make this possible and all this inside of a traditional automaker which you know is based on traditional internal combustion engines and drivetrains and transmissions and all these things where now they're they're dealing with batteries and a lot more electronics so i do think they uh they saw it as a way to keep the technology moving forward and get better at as as a company with the intention that eventually they'd be able to do a fully electric vehicle which now we know is uh the bolt with a b uh, and so we'll, we'll get to that in the future. But the Volt was this transitionary product for GM as well as a transitionary product in its own technologies. Um, so, yeah, so that was sort of the in, impetus for it. Um, and what's funny is they showed it off in 2007. And what they showed off did not look like anything that it actually shipped as. Um, I think you had seen a lot of the photos of it. It it really was more of the skateboard thing, wasn't it? Like, I I seem to recall, and I haven't actually 
looked back at this, but I seem to recall years ago seeing it as them touting, touting it as a platform. And it was very much like the Tesla, like skateboard platform. Mm-hmm. Because when that, the way that it worked at GM, at least at this point was the, the prototype, the concept car did not have engineering involved beyond making the prototype work like the, the it, it, it wasn't a real car. It was a concept car all the way to the point where it actually had, um, just two 12 volt conventional car batteries, uh, in it, uh, which was just enough power to allow the vehicle to move at low speeds to the, to the stand. <laughs> That's awesome. So it was not a real car. Um, it was, it was just a dummy car that was, you know, rigged together to look like a car and it was super low slung and very futuristic looking and was sort of the showcase. And then after the show, that was passed on to the real engineering team with the specs that they had designed of 40 miles of range and all these things and said, go build it. And you have two and a half years. So, uh, explaining why concept cars do not end up looking like the production cars. Um, the people who build the production cars do not necessarily are not involved in the concept car very often. <laughs> Presumably concept cars don't have crash testing ratings and no, or aerodynamic. And that was one of the other really big reasons apparently was that the, um, the concept car had a, a coefficient of drag of 0.43, which is terrible. And the, the actual car had a uh, 0.28. So a really big reduction in the coefficient of drag. So um, 0.28 compares to 0.25 for the Prius and 0.24 for the Model S. So pretty similar. I mean, you know, a couple uh, a couple hundredths of a point. Uh, and then the Model 3, just for comparison, is, is trying to be 0.21. Um, so it's it's not terrible um but the the uh per, the prototype car was extremely bad uh, it was not designed for uh being aerodynamic and as a result would be a terrible electric car because you really don't want drag in an electric car uh, it really hurts range and they also decided to build it on the same platform the delta 2 platform as the chevy cruise so if people have seen the Chevy Cruze and the Volt, they look very similar and you're not, it's not a surprise because they're actually built on the same platform. So uh, that's also one of the uh, benefits and hindrances of very large car companies is that they have some common platforms that many of their cars share across different badges. Um, and the Volt was um, decided to be built on the Chevy Cruze platform. So it was uh, reusing some of the same structural chassis and um, overall sort of design work that had been done. The downside of that is that you have to fit these new components into a, a shape that wasn't originally designed for being electric, didn't be able to take advantage of that. And so one of the really interesting design challenges was where they were going to put the battery. Um, Especially given that they still have all of the overhead and space constraints of an uh, internal combustion engine in there. Yes. Yeah. They, they still need to get an engine in there and battery and two motors, one motor. Yeah. One motor for actually driving the wheels and another motor, which is going to be the electric generator. Um, and a more complicated transmission system to move all this like power around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a, a three, three gear, um, three clutches, uh, multi gear system. Um, and so, Basically, the final design they ended up coming out with was this um, T-shaped battery. So if you imagine 
a uh, a T with the uh, long end going through the center console of the vehicle, and um, and then the uh, top part of the T across the back seats. Yeah, I think it was it was either under or behind the back seats. Yeah, and, it, and one of the challenges is that it caused the uh, middle back row seat not to really be a seat because there's this huge <laughs> hump down the back. So a lot of cars, uh, ICE cars, have uh, the transmission hump in the center of the vehicle, which causes the footrest to be tough for people in the back seat. Uh, well, this has a whole battery, which is even taller. Yeah, which is pretty unusual. For a small car like this, they're usually front-wheel drive, and the transmission doesn't go to the back. Like with a rear-wheel drive car, you'll have that hump, but in the front-wheel drive cars, you wouldn't. So it's a little unusual in a compact vehicle to have that giant hump back there. Yeah, and this was a rear-wheel drive vehicle also, um, which was interesting. Oh, was it? Yeah. And the other thing that was really interesting, too, was that um, the battery is really small uh, when I... It, it was 16 kilowatt hours. And so just for comparison, the uh, the Model S shipping today has a 60, 75, or 90. So 16, 1.6 versus 60. And what's also really funny too is that they really were very, uh, they constricted it to only 10 kilowatts of useful range because they, they weren't sure exactly how much uh, degradation there would be, and they wanted to offer their standard 100,000-mile warranty. And so they actually limit it from, eight, you can't charge it past 80%, and it wouldn't discharge lower than 30%. So you'd, <laughs> you'd get about 50% of the, of the battery, a little more actually. But um, So really a 10-kilowatt-hour battery, um, and that gave people about 35 miles of range electric, um, and then the gasoline generator would kick in. Um, so so that, was, that was sort of where they ended up, um, and yeah, they spent a lot of time on the regenerative braking and all these new technologies that were new for, for uh, GM that are now standard and pretty well known to the Tesla community, but... They, they did do a lot of, a lot of work to, to get all those things up and running. The question is, is it the best in the world regenerative braking? Is it the best battery chemistry? Or is it just something that they're pleased with because they were able to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. it I mean, they already had all of the know-how for the internal combustion engine process in-house. So they, it's, it seems like it makes a lot of sense for them to then start adding battery technology on top of that whereas if tesla had decided to do something like a volt it would be completely insane because they would be learning how to do a gasoline engine and the electric system at the same time yeah exactly when when the volt first came out um was the roadster out and if not or whether or not it was um was any other i guess the prius would have been out at that time right yeah so people were used to the prius and then the um the Volt came out in 2010, so um, it was uh, the the Roadster was out. Um, it had been out for two years, and then the Model S would come out in another two years. So it was really the Prius, which was a pure hybrid, which was not a plug-in hybrid. Remember, it was just sort of it had a battery inside of it to help accelerate. Um, and it would, that battery would charge through regenerative braking, so you'd never plug it in. Right. So this was one of the first sort of plug-ins. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was sort of the, the beginning of it. And Tesla was just those few thousand roadsters. So, um, at that point, Tesla was even less of a, 
way less of a, of a, a thing in the automotive world as it is today. And so um, I think the Volt was clearly um, the most well-known EV type vehicle um, out there. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's easy to forget that now looking back six years later, but um, it was a very new vehicle type um, and first in its kind. Cool. So one of the other kind of interesting uh, components of it is that they've, they've been improving it for the past six years. The car hasn't been discontinued like the EV1. Um, <laughs> and so it has been a, a, a decent selling car. Um, in the six years, it sold 100,000. Um, so not, you know, not door busters, not breaking records like the uh, Toyota Corolla or anything like that, right. but doing decently well. Um, the, they did a 2.0 rev recently, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. They, they did a 2.0, and I think this one's definitely a lot, a lot better. Um, and the big reason is that it has 53 miles of range, um, so almost double the initial range on just electric. So that's a big difference. Um, the battery is now up to 18 uh, kilowatt hours. Uh, the engine inside of it is more efficient and takes regular gasoline instead of premium, um, which is a pretty big deal. And uh, it has faster uh, time off the line, more acceleration. It's got car play inside of it. Uh, and uh, it's just generally a better better vehicle. And so I think for for listeners of the show, one of the interesting challenges or thoughts is, should you consider a Volt uh, as a transitionary vehicle as you wait for your Model 3? Uh, there's very attractive leases on uh, Volts um, because Chevy wants to sell them uh, for their credits and to help their uh, image as, as uh, having a lower emissions fleet. Um, and, uh, yeah, they get, you, they get the tax credit, the $7,500 tax credit when you get a lease. And so, yeah, I think that it's like 200 or $250 a month for a lease here in the U S so pretty, pretty cost effective lease. And, uh, yeah, for 40, 40 ish miles, it's fully electric. So, um, that's not bad. Yeah. I guess the, yeah, I think that it's certainly going to be. It's, it's about the same price as what the Model 3 is going to be uh, if they keep to their $35,000. So given a Model 3 versus a Volt, I would take the Model 3. Um, but I don't think it's a bad idea to get a Volt. And I see, I have a few in the parking lot where I live. Uh, a few people have them. And I see them all around here downtown. So um, clearly it's selling well and um, definitely set the, set the tone for the plug-in hybrid um here in the u.s and, and around the world so it's an interesting milestone i don't think the technology is long for this world um as soon as we get to 250 300 mile range uh charging uh inside of most vehicles in the next few years i just don't think people will want the extra complexity of the gasoline engine inside the car and i don't think the car companies will want it either so right i mean i would bet that in a few years I would say within five years, I would I would be pretty surprised if the Volt were still around. Um, that would be my bet. So does the Volt have any of the autonomous features that Tesla offers? Uh, no, it does not. I, it has cruise control, but it doesn't have any of the adaptive cruise control or anything special. And I don't even think the Bolt has anything talked about yet. So I saw a video of them. It, it apparently has the parking feature, 
but apparently it doesn't work all that well, at least mm-hmm. given I, I watched a review of it from uh, The Verge, I believe, and uh, they were driving it around San Francisco and trying to get it to park itself into various little spots, and it, it was maybe like a 40% success rate. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, Chevy and, and GM have acquired Cruise Automation, um, which is a, a self-driving car company out of uh, San Francisco that was working on a self-driving rig that would go on an Audi A4. Uh, actually, one of the co-founders of that was uh, a co-worker of mine at Justin TV. Yeah, they were driving around Soma with uh, all the equipment on top of a Nissan Leaf for the past year that I saw them. Yeah, and apparently they're going to be using the Bolt um, as their new test vehicles, and they've gotten permission to do that um, cool. in Austin and a few other places. So. I think, I mean, GM is certainly going to bring autonomous features to these cars, and I would be, uh, I, w- I would bet it's going to come to the Volt and the Bolt uh, when when it's possible. I think they, I think they definitely th- see themselves as competing with Tesla with those two pre- products, uh, as well as with Nissan and and a few others who are who are doing the EVs. So I would expect they're going to work hard to to compete with them on the technology side. Um, but uh, yeah. There's the um, the BMW i3. I see a lot of those around here. I mean, I see a, a few i8s around as well, but I see a lot of i3s, uh, which yeah. is in the when you're leasing it, I think is around the same range as a as a Volt to the two hundred to two hundred fifty dollar a month range with a with a lease, I believe. Yeah, and the other thing too is that the i3 has a range extender mode uh, available, also similar to the Volt, where right. it has a gasoline engine which will extend it past its 40 mile range i think that's a pure generator though right that, that i don't think that actually in it doesn't interact with the drivetrain at all i think it just charges the batteries yeah and that's what that's what the volt was intended to be like but they engineers eventually realized it'd be more efficient to have it touch the the rear wheels too but um but yeah that that's the that was the design intention for for both so i mean yeah i i think that it certainly was inspired by the volts um yeah uh, acceptance the i3 is not doing very well um, and isn't going to be continued for uh, a few more years they're gonna do a, a big redesign it's another transitional vehicle yeah I, I just i just don't see these 40 mile vehicles really uh, i see a lot of them as second cars but i don't see many of them as primary cars and i don't think that's a, a shock because it's fine if you have a secondary car and, and someone needs to go downtown or do some errands but if you need to do a road trip or you need to go go to a longer distance, uh, you, you don't want thirty or forty miles in most cases. Just doesn't yeah. doesn't doesn't cover most uh, use cases, especially on an asset that's thirty five or forty thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, it seems like it makes a lot of sense as a second vehicle. Like if I had to get a second vehicle right now, it would be fine to get one of those because we would, I would just use that for commuting and errands around town. Um, yep. But as a, as a primary vehicle, yeah, it is a little bit. A little bit problematic um and that's why and that's why they wanted the volt to be able to be a primary vehicle uh and and so why they put the range extender in there and i i think that that's perfectly valid and yeah. i also think that it's still better to sell a volt than a traditional 25 mile per gallon car so you know if you're concerned about the environmental impact i think you need to be pragmatic about it and realize that if someone, if the, if it's the difference between someone not buying anything with electric and having sixty or seventy miles per gallon, and uh, and buying a regular fully internal combustion only, 
then I think it's better that they get a vault and that that's an option. And uh, yeah. it's clearly over 100,000 people have made that choice who <laughs> couldn't have probably could not have uh, opted for a Tesla at that point. So yeah. I think that's net good. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And and looking at it from the flip side too, I think like institutionally for, for car, car companies, it makes a lot of sense to be, for, in this case for General Motors, it makes a lot of sense for them to be shipping this transitional thing because they're building up the expertise and they're learning a lot of things about what works and what doesn't work and things that you can't learn by just playing around with concept models and prototypes and stuff like actually having electric components out there like shipped into customers hands um, that that stuff probably makes the upcoming bolt a lot more reliable and a lot more um, robust than it would be otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being able to say, here's the drive, here's the electric drivetrain we've been using for the Volt, but now we're going to basically triple the battery or quadruple the battery. You have a lot of confidence that the that the bat, that the, the motors work well and that the uh, charger works well and all these other components that when you scale up the battery don't necessarily have to change much. That that all is really really great to know sort of what the what's going to happen when people turn on the AC to the battery range and turn on the heat right. and all these other things that are clearly happening in the Bolt, or sorry, in the Volt with a V today <laughs> on the road and have been happening for the last six years. And then to know when we scale that up for the for the Bolt, what those design constraints will be and where the efficiencies are going to come from. And I think that second generation Volt clearly indicate they've been doing a ton there from the interconnects are getting shorter and the wire bundling's changing and the type of fuel that it uses is better and all these different things that they realize they could improve from both feedback from customers and through just having to service these vehicles. I just think that, yeah, for a large car company to eventually be able to make comprehensive and desirable electric cars, they're going to need a couple tries because it's an unusual new technology for them. And Tesla's had, what is it now, uh, 10 years to yeah. more than 10 years to refine their technology with small batches of people increasing in size over time with new models uh, to now culminate with the Model 3 coming up. But, but they didn't start with Model 3. It's been over a 10-year journey. And now uh, Chevy has a 10-year journey as well. The question is what these other car companies are going to do. And has this technology really gotten to the place where it is something you can start from scratch? Or is there a learning curve for everyone that is going to be of the same steepness and time uh, requirement? That'll be the really interesting thing to see as some of these other folks like Audi and BMW really have to go fully electric. Yeah, it's always dangerous to buy the first version of anything. So, you know, I would I would advise staying away from other companies' first versions. Um, but one thing that I would really like to see change, and I, I hope that this is a temporary thing that we're going to get past, is all of the electric cars being designed as though they're electric cars or that they're something unique and different. Uh, the first Volt was just, I mean, you saw it and you're like, oh my God, what is this thing? It's got these black plastic, like shiny things on it. And uh, it seems like the the Leaf and the i3 and other vehicles, like it's, there's some sort of law or something that says that you have to have really bright blue accents on everything to show that you are an electric vehicle. And I, I'm looking forward to the day and maybe this is going to be the Model 3 shipping, um, but I'm looking forward to the day when an electric car doesn't have to scream, look at me, I'm an electric car. I think that'll be when it's truly arrived. Absolutely. And I, I think that of all of them, 
I have to say the Volt is the least offensive um, from that point of view. I, Maybe the second one. I don't know. I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the chrome uh, grill they have going on. Oh, in the very front. And yeah. then that black plastic uh, near the side view mirrors above the, uh, like the A panel, yeah, the A pillar, pillar. Yeah. where it says like it's shiny black plastic and it says Volt with the little bolt through it. It's like, oh, come on. Why? Why did you have to do that? Yeah, I'm not sure if they think that's because customers want to show off that they're driving. I, th- I really think that has to do with the the uh, Prius of of a lot of car designers thinking that people are buying the Prius because it looks uh, slightly unusual. And I think a lot of people, I, I think it's more of a in spite of. I think I think people are buying it in spite of the Prius looking like it does, and yeah. people misinterpreting it as wanting it to look funky because it's an eco car. Yeah, uh, and I, I think Tesla understands that that's not really what people want, but I think Tesla also realizes that they're selling to a premium buyer, and uh, that in that sect, the uh, the visual appearance of the car is much more important. I mean, clearly. Uh, I have, I, I'm going to show my snobbery here, but I, I would say <laughs> that people who are buying a Camry are not necessarily buying it for its visual appearance and its design aesthetic uh, as it's number, it's certainly not the number one choice. And I don't think it's necessarily even top three priorities. So I don't think that's required to make a good electric car. I just think that making it look odd like you is, like you said, is, is not <laughs> strictly required either. And yeah. I don't think that would hurt its sales. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that's just transitional and, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of move past that. I mean, even calling it Volt. I mean, we don't have cars that are called gassy or like <laughs> car, car, carbone or something. I don't, I don't know. Like Carbone? I don't know. Carbon, carbone with an oh, E at the gotcha. end. I don't know. Carbone. Carbone, yeah. We don't, we don't have gasoline cars that are referencing the fuel or... <laughs> I think this is an official indicator that we have gone a little bit too far in this episode. So why don't we uh, bring this in uh, for, for a wrap up? Um, All right. If, if people uh, out there actually have volts or, or have had volts and have volt experience, uh, we'd love to hear from you and hear, hear about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our knowledge for this episode, as, as we mentioned, we have not driven them. So... It's been gleaned from uh, YouTube videos, mostly. <laughs> I read. I read a lot some of reading. documents. Oh, okay. Old school. Um, so, yeah, if you if you have anything, please uh, please let us know. And, and if they do, Caleb, where can they reach us? Uh, you can uh, leave a comment on the website at theteslashow.com. You can also tweet at us at The Tesla Show on Twitter. And if you are into Reddit, we are have our own subreddit, r slash the Tesla show, where we post each episode and you can comment there as well as get the recipe for the drinks of each episode. <laughs> and with that, I we will bid you adieu and talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you later. Bye, Mike. Bye.